Zechariah chapter number 1. Let's pick up in verse 1. Read down to about verse 2. And then we're going to read verse 15 and verse 16. Zechariah 1, verse 1, 2, and verse 15 and 16. In the eighth month in the second year of, I call it Darius, but some of you folks call it Darius. So however you call him, it's him. Came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, the prophet, saying, The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Now look down, if you will, verse number 15. The Bible says, And I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased, and they helped forward the affliction. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Let's read 17. Cry yet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, My city through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion, and shall yet choose Jerusalem. Let's stop there and pray. Lord, I do thank you for your word tonight. Thank you, Lord, for the power that's in it, and I pray that we would allow that power, Lord, to do its work that you sent it to tonight in our hearts and lives. We know that you haven't sent this message to no one. It's to those of us that are here, those of us that are watching. Help us, Lord, be obedient to it, to receive it, to respond to it. Bless our church tonight. Lord, thank you for the great grace that you've given us over the past few weeks and months. Uh, Father, I pray that you continue to give grace to those that have great need tonight in their hearts and lives, those that are sick and those that are heart sick tonight. I just pray that, Lord, for those of us that are loud and able to be here tonight, that, Lord, you'd work in our lives in the invitation time, that we would, Lord, just be obedient. And I thank you for what you're going to do in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's jump right into it tonight, if we could. Well, what we're picking up on here is kind of the middle of a story. And we know the history of what's happening here, that under Cyrus, the Jews have been allowed to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple. And as off is the case, as we set out to do what God has opened doors for us to do, uh, not long after they got the work uh, underway, uh, they begin to have setbacks, as often is the case. We get excited about doing the will of God. God opens doors of service and ministry to us, and we get ready and excited to run through those doors and opportunities to get about the will and the word and the work of God, and then something comes along to derail our zeal and to derail our determination. And now, what we're seeing in the book of Zechariah is that building project of the temple has really slowed down to a crawl and a snail's pace. God, as he always does, has raised up prophets. There we have the, the book right behind here, the book of Haggai. He raised him up to go in and get the people to consider their ways. You turn back one page. Um, the Bible says in verse 2, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. And he goes on to get them to consider their ways. He says, listen, I opened up a door of opportunity for you. I've given you the privilege to go back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple and have temple worship. And yet now that work has become bogged down. So Haggai preached to them to get the work going back again. And then now we have Zechariah here many years into the work who God has sent to do the same thing, to encourage them to pick up the work and to finish the work which God had led them to do. Now, Often case, I want you to notice, this is what happens to us. Often case, the Lord opens doors of opportunity for us through the Holy Spirit of God, through the preaching of the Word of God. God shows us an opportunity that we have to serve Him, i.e., in this case, it was the rebuilding of the temple. And we get excited about it, and we get stirred up about it, and God begins to work in our heart, and God uses us to continue His work and His will in the way that He's called us to do so. 
But just as so often is the case in my life, we get stirred up only to get settled down. God gives us an opportunity, God opens the door of service to us, and we start walking through that door, and we are stirred, and we are excited about what God's doing, but sooner or later, we begin to settle down just a little bit, and the work of God and the will of God slows to a snail's pace as it is here in the book of Zechariah. Now, there's something that I noticed the other day I want to share with you. Uh, there's a new store here in town that is called the Main Squeeze. How many of you have been there? The Main Squeeze, just a few of you. And uh, I haven't been there yet, but I've had folks bring me some of these things here. Quick advertisement for them. And uh, I, honestly, goodness, my wife, I called her the other day. I says, where are you headed? She says, I'm going to the Main Squeeze. I'll be honest with you. It kind of worried me for a second. I'm thinking to myself, for the gym, I thought that was me. I thought I was her main squeeze. And then she told me about this place where they take all of these fruits and vegetables, pounds and pounds and pounds of fruits and vegetables, and they blend them up. I declare the, there's a couple of them that I've seen. I think somebody's back there with lawn trimmings, blending them up, putting them into a bottle. And someone brought me one of those the other day. I borrowed this one from Brother AJ. He had one on hand and brought it, uh, brought it up here. But I noticed as I was drinking it here on the bottle, here's what it says. It says, love yourself. That's, that's good. But then underneath there, it says, separation is natural. All right? So if you let this sit in your refrigerator long enough, after a while, it's going to look like water on the top. And then all of these little granules down there on the bottom from all that natural goodness that is there. And if we just let this sit here during the service, I guess we might just do that. You'll see it begin to settle down. You shake it up, and it gets stirred up, and it looks all good, and all those wonderful nutrients that make you, you know, 10 feet tall and bulletproof are, are there, but after a while, you set it there, and it begins to settle down. Why? Because as the bottle says, separation is natural. That settling is natural, and that's what God does to us. God meets with us in his house. God meets to us through his word. God meets with us through his spirit, and he stirs us up and gives us opportunity. But after a while, just as in this juice, we settle down. Why? Because that's the natural thing to do. Now, we're reading this in the book of Zechariah where the work of God, they're stirred up about it, they're excited about it, but before long, the work of God has settled down, and the work has slowed to a crawl. Kind of reminds you what the Bible says in Galatians chapter 1, where Paul says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you. He said, I marvel that God gave you this opportunity and this calling, and he opened the door, and you're so removed from it, so soon removed from it. What happens? We naturally settle down. Now, folks, I, I was blessed the other day, even during the time of, of grief that we've had at our church. That during the services we've had here lately at the home going from some of our dearest men and how I believe the Spirit of God stirred some of our people's heart through the testimonies. Matter of fact, we left here on Friday and I had several folks say that didn't feel like a funeral. It kind of felt like a revival. That God began to work and God, isn't it wonderful that God can work even in times like this? And I have no doubt that both Brother Danny and Brother Roger are probably smiling thinking that even in their home going that God has been glorified. And how our hearts were stirred, and our hearts were challenged, and we want to do more. We're excited about doing more, but if you're not careful, you're just going to be like the work here in Zechariah. You'll be excited for a little while, and then the work slows down, and you settle back down. Why? Because that's the natural thing to do. I think it was last year's missions conference, one of our missionaries sang the song, Stirred But Not Changed. 
I couldn't help but think about this tonight. I printed it off so I could read it to you. Listen to these words and tell me if this does not ring a bell with you. Oftentimes my heart has been stirred by the things that I have heard about so many who have never heard God's word. And though tears would fill my eyes, all too soon I'd realize, though my heart's been stirred, my life's not been changed. Now listen to the chorus. I'm so tired of being stirred about the lost who need to hear. I'm so tired of being stirred that his coming is so near. I'm so tired of being stirred till I cry bitter tears. I'm so tired of being stirred but not being changed. Folks, I don't know about you. That's a natural temptation I have. It's natural. To get stirred up and for God to stir your heart and you get excited and you want to do more. And God opens you a door of opportunity to serve him or to do more than you're already doing. And then that natural man takes control again. Rather than walk in the spirit, we allow the flesh to dictate our service to God and we settle down. And yes, we've been stirred, but we haven't been changed. I want you to understand something tonight. If we're going to fulfill the will of God as a church in the midst of what we're going through, we can no longer afford to be stirred but not be changed. We can no longer afford for God to do something in our life during the service, for God to stir our heart during the invitation time and during the preaching. We can no longer afford for God to do his part and for us not to do ours. We've got to be willing to finish what God starts God's going to do his part, isn't he? God has never let me down. Second Peter, the Bible says, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Aren't you glad? One of those promises is how I'm getting to heaven. I'm glad he's not slack concerning his promises. Aren't you glad that the Bible says in Philippians chapter 1 that we can be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. That means God's going to do his job. Every time I come to preach the word of God, there are times I don't feel as confident about my delivery as others. There are times I'm thinking that fell flat. There are times thinking I didn't get the message across. But listen, I'm not confident in myself, but I'm confident in the Lord. Why? He's going to do his job. You could get a 10-year-old up here standing on a stool and reading and preaching from the word of God. And regardless of how good their homiletics are, the Holy Spirit's going to do his job. So we can be assured of that, correct? Correct. God's going to do his part. God's going to stir us. God's going to prod us. God's going to lead us. He's going to open those doors. But then we've got to finish what God starts. We cannot afford to leave here and leave the work of God unfinished anymore. And tonight we're going to look at this very, very simple thought. I'm going to give you three things, three bullet points right quickly on finishing what God begins. Finishing what God begins. God has raised up Zechariah to preach to the people to finish what God has started. And tonight we're going to show you how real quickly to follow through with God's will. We can't afford to have any unfinished works anymore. For too long we've been content with allowing God to stir us and we feel that's what God's intention was. I like being stirred, don't get me wrong. I like going to a church service. I even like being convicted sometimes. I do. I like it when I come to the house of God and my toes get stepped on a little bit. I listen to preaching. My wife listens to more preaching than I do. My wife will be back there getting ready in the mornings and she's listening to preaching. And man, I'm getting convicted just hearing it secondhand from what my wife's listening to. But I'm thankful for that. Why? Because that means God's wanting to work in my life. But look, God's end game is not just to stir you. You know, that's the charismatic churches. You go to their church to get stirred, to get feeling good, but you don't leave their chains. That's their end game. Did you feel good while you were here? I hear people all the time. 
Man, I like this church. I go there and it makes me feel this way. Man, it makes me feel that way. I want to see you on Monday. Doesn't matter a whole lot how you feel in here. It matters what you do out there. And what you do out there is what matters to God, all right? God's not here just to make us feel good and to stir us up. God wants to change us. And so God does his part. God opens the door. He opened the door for his people to go back and to rebuild the temple. It's amazing how God can use kings to do that, all right? God sets them up. God takes them down. God can put whoever he wants in charge. And God can open the door for his work to continue even in the midst of hostile circumstances. But the work's not going to continue if we don't finish what God begins. So let's look at how to do that tonight, if we could. Verse 1. In the eighth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord unto Zechariah, the son of Berechiah. Now stop right there. I want you to see something. Notice what happens at the very beginning as God prepares to motivate his people to finish the work. The Bible says that the word of the Lord came. The word of the Lord came. Now, this is important. God's desiring his people move. God's desiring his people be motivated. Notice the tool that God used to motivate his people. The Bible says it was the word. Now, this is going to sound simple, but don't bail out on me, all right? This may sound simple, but it's very important. If we're going to finish what God starts, he begins, number one tonight, the word must be heard, all right? The word must be heard. The word of God is the tool by which God accomplishes his will. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by what? The word of God. Now, folks, listen. If we're going to finish what God starts in here on Sunday, God's going to start something on Sunday. He's going to stir our hearts with his word. But the only way that we're going to finish what God starts, we've got to hear it. That's where it comes from. I believe because we live in the Bible Belt, the Word of God and having a Bible is part of our culture. And we become desensitized to it. Now, you may not have thought about it that way, but I believe that's exactly what happens. We get desensitized to the Word of God. We grow up, it's on our refrigerators. We grow up, it's on our calendars. We, it's on our cell phones. I mean, we know the Word of God. Grandma, Grandpa have taught us the Word of God. We can quote scriptures that we don't even know what they mean. Why? Because the Word of God is a part of our culture. But I fear tonight it's not a part of our character. There's a big difference with something being a part of your culture and being a part of your character. One, it means it's just a part of the world you're living in. The other means it's part of who you are. Now, what is God doing here? He wants the work finished. Where does it begin with? It begins with the word that must be heard. Now, here's the definition of the word desensitized. I want you to hear this. The word desensitized means having been made less likely to feel shock or distress. Having been made less likely to feel shock or distress. How often do we come to the house of God and we hear the word of God preached the Holy Spirit of God takes that word and knocks on our heart's door, but we're unfazed by it. Why? We're desensitized to it. It no longer has that shocking ability to us. It no longer distresses to us. Why? Because it's part of our culture, but it's not part of our character. Now, if God's going to use us to finish his work, it's going to be through his word. But so often we as the people of God, we don't allow the word of God to affect us. What is God using to affect his people to finish the work? He's using his word. That means we must allow God's word to affect us and to change us. Or else, you know what we're going to be? We're going to be like the people in this song. We're going to be stirred but not changed. 
I like being stirred. My heart was stirred by the music this morning. What I loved about the fact of our music this morning is our music was based on the Word of God. Oh, good godly music this morning. How it stirred our hearts and made us feel good. But that's not God's end game. God wants his word to change us. I don't believe we're ever going to see revival in America if we don't get back to God's word. Why? Because the reason we need revival is we've gotten away from God's word. All right? Revival takes place, listen, revive. All right? That means brought back to life. The only people that can be revived are the people who've been vived to begin with. Are you with me? That's God's people, all right? If revival's going to happen in America, it's going to happen in God's people. I think we're sitting around waiting on the lost people to get revived when they hadn't been vived to begin with. Revival begins with us, and revival begins when God's people get back to God's word, and we can't just hear it. Matter of fact, we read on down, the Bible says that their fathers would not hearken unto the word. That was a word we heard this morning, wasn't it? You look at the word hearken, it begins with the word hear. But then there's a K and E. And in on the end of that. Do you know how I've always remembered the word hearken? Hearken means to hear. The K means to keep. And the E-N means to endure. If we're going to hearken to the word of God, we're going to hear it. We're going to keep it. And we're going to endure it. There are times you've got to endure the word of God. Why? Because it's a sword. Man, the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Look, it's not a prop. My wife has a sword in her office back there. But Michael, I don't know whatever for. Makes me kind of nervous. That's why I didn't say anything about her main squeeze. Because she's got a sword. I said, we'll just figure it out. Let that be between her and the Lord. But it's a prop sword. It's not sharp. But Nate, I don't know if you could use it as a letter opener. I have a knife in my office I got in Africa. It's a handmade knife. This guy made it made in Africa, and I bought it off of him when we were there. And do uh, you know what we do with that, that knife I bought in Africa? But Nate and I use it as a letter opener. That's exactly what we use it for. It's not very sharp. But that's not the word of God. It's quick and powerful and it's sharp and it's going to cut us. There are times, listen, if you're going to hearken to the word of God, you've got to hear it, you've got to keep it, and sometimes you've got to endure it. Why? It's through the word of God that God motivates us to finish the work that he wants to finish through us. By the way, can I tell you tonight, it's a privilege to be a part of the work of God. I'm not talking about just being in ministry. It's a privilege to be a part of the work of God. If you're a born-again child of God tonight, can I tell you something? You're part of the solution for America. You're part of the solution. But where does it begin? Verse 1. The Bible says, the word, the word of the Lord. Turn with me to your right to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter number 3. This is easy stuff, but please don't overlook this tonight. 2 Timothy chapter 3, we know, verse 15 the Bible says, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Jesus Christ. Now watch verse 16, 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. I love this, and it's profitable. If I've done your marriage counseling... A few of you in here tonight, I've done your marriage counseling since I've been here. We go to this verse. Why? In marriage counseling, I, I share, we have the role of the, the wife and the role of the husband. I said, you think about a role, a role is a lot like what you have when you're doing a movie production. You have a role to play and you have a role to play. You're the husband, you're the wife. And here's the neat thing. We have a script. We have a script. And I've told just about every couple that's come to my office for marriage counseling, as long as you stick with the script, it's going to be a great production. 
if you just stick with the script, but you got to stick with it. And I go to this verse where the Bible says, the Bible says that our scripture is profitable. If it, listen, if we're going to be profitable for the cause of Christ, the kingdom of God, and the work and the will of God, we're not going to be profitable without scripture. All right? The word's got to be heard. We wonder why the church is so unprofitable. Give you a hint. It's because we've gotten away from the word. We can't be profitable without the word, but keep reading. For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Keep reading. Look at verse 17. That the man of God may be perfect, that means complete, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Thoroughly furnished. Do you know if you're going to do any type of work, you need the right tools. Is that correct? If you're, going to have, if you're going to do anything or accomplish anything, you need the right tools, you need the right material. The Bible says that the Word of God makes us thoroughly furnished. So many of us charge out there into the work, and we leave our tools at home. Why? Because our tools are the Word of God. My dad had a rule when we were on the job. My dad was my pastor. He was my dad, and he was my boss at work. One time your boss can give you a whooping. And on our job site, my dad always mandated, didn't request, that we wear our tool belts at all times. You get out of the truck, finish your coffee if you want to, or your yoo whatever we were drinking at the time, put your tool belt on. Dad did not want us anywhere on the job site without having our tool belt on. Man, it's loaded down. I got hammers. I got speed square. I had a couple of pockets that were reserved for gummy bears, but most of the, it was for tools. Had my 35-foot tape measure. I wanted one where you could measure just about anything you wanted. Got my chalk line. I got my pencils. I got my razor knife. I got all kind of good stuff. I got some electrical tape. You're always needing electrical tape, you know. I got a little bit of that in there. It was amazing how often I ran into a need, but I had what I needed because I had my tools, and I just took out the tool that I needed to get the job done that was before me. The Bible says that the Word of God, if we'll take it, it's profitable, and it will thoroughly furnish us unto all good works. But you've got to take it. That's why it's important to notice this begins with the Word of God. God won't accomplish much through you. Understand this. Boy, this is a lifelong principle that you ought to adopt for yourself. God won't accomplish much through you if God can't say much to you. Let that sink in. God won't accomplish much through you if God can't say much to you. Folks, we got to listen sooner or later. We've got to open up our ears. What did our teacher say when we were in school? I wish I could just open up your head and pour it over in there. It doesn't happen that way, does it? Sometimes pastors feel that way. <laughs> doesn't work. Sooner or later, you've got to hear the word. The word's got to be heard. Why? Because it's through the word that God motivates us to finish his work. Real quickly. I told you I only had three points, but we've got to hurry. We read about Samuel. I love this passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 3, which describes why God used him and why he accomplished so much for the will of God. The Bible says, 1 Samuel three nineteen, he let none of his words fall to the ground. He let none of his words fall to the ground. What does that mean? That means when he got a tool, he put it in his bag. You know, a lot of times the Holy Spirit of God comes up, uh, up and down each row and up and down each aisle He's given us his word, which is a tool that we're going to need because God knows tomorrow what you're going to need, how sad it is when we say, you know what, I don't need that right now. And we put it down, we walk out into the world and we realize, oh, I needed that. You know what you ought to do? 
Anytime the word of God is preached, regardless of how good or bad the delivery is, regardless of who's doing the preaching, if it's the word of God, it's quick and living and it's powerful. Take every tool. Take every tool. Put it in your tool bag. Why? Because the word must be heard. First Peter chapter 2, the Bible says, As newborn babes, comma, desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow thereby. If you have a child and you've raised one of those little bundles of joy, you know how serious they are about desiring their milk. We had one. And, oh, I remember those days. My wife, wake up. Wake up. I'm like, why? She says, Miley's hungry. I'm like, well, you had her. <laughs> I'm picking. It was actually my job to get up. We had those little bottle warmers, you know. And you know how you walk around it when you're wanting to go back to bed? I hope I'm not the only one that does this. You're wanting to go back to bed, so you're trying to keep your eyes squinted so you don't wake up all the way. Walking in there, and you're pouring a little powder, and you're... You put it in the warmer, and you're trying to walk back to the room and give it to her. So you can go right back to bed. You don't want to open your eyes too much, or then you're awake, and you can't go back to sleep. Man, that kid wanted her bottle. It was just like these regular feedings. It's like she just wanted to eat all the time. I'm like, you just lay there, and you eat. We change your diapers. That's it. Not very productive kid when she was a baby. The Bible says that's the way we're supposed to desire the word, as newborn babes. Do you know what newborn babes get? Regular feedings. They got to have it. They got to have it. The Bible says that's the way we should desire the word. I'll tell you this real quickly. You'll never finish the work without being faithful to the word. That's number one. Look at number two. Look down to verse two. What's God trying to do? Hey, guys, get back about the work. Don't stop. I stirred you up. We got it started. Now don't stop. Verse two. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Now, can I tell you, verse number two is the reason we oftentimes don't do point number one. We don't receive the word. Why? Because number two, it's coming with a rebuke. God rebuked them. The Lord hath been sore displeased with your fathers. Oftentimes, listen, the reason we don't want to receive the word and we don't want to hear it is because oftentimes God is using the word to show his displeasure. As a matter of fact, if you look down to verse number 15, he uses those exact words again. He says, and I am very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease, for I was but a little displeased. Do you know how we find out what pleases and displeases God? Let's not listen to the televangelist because they're not always honest, are they? We find that out through the word. You hear it and you receive it. So number two tonight, how are we going to finish what God starts? Number one, the word must be heard. Number two, receive the rebuke. Receive the rebuke. There are times we go to the word of God and we hear preaching of the word of God and through that word, God rebukes us. Now, it's not something we want to hear. I don't like hearing rebuke. I really don't. I had a flashback, a terrible, frightening, horrible flashback that scarred me mentally as a 15-year-old preacher. I used to talk fast. I did. 15-minute sermons, buddy. I used to tell them every time I get up to preach, I'll keep up with the Holy Spirit, you keep up with me. That's what I used to tell everybody. I'd stand at the back door and I'm shaking hands. Everybody would come by and they're being very polite. You know, I appreciate that word. But there were two or three people in our church, when I saw them coming, I knew that I was about to get help with my pride problem. I was about to be humbled every time. Brother Arthur was one of them. Brother Arthur comes out on his cane, 
He has his head down, and I'm thinking to myself, he's going to pass me by this time. Thank the Lord. He had nothing negative to say. And just about the time he got out the door, he stops. I'm like, good grief. Well, if you slow down, some of us might be able to hear what you have to say. It's like, well, can't you think faster? I mean, come on. I got to spit it out as fast as the Lord's given it to me. You got to learn to listen faster. Man, I hated seeing him. He'd come out. You know, try getting it beyond 15 minutes sometimes. Drive all the way out here for a 15-minute little bit of sermonette. Or come out. That wasn't, listen, you want to hurt a preacher's feelings? Walk out and say that was a good devotion. I worked two weeks on those 15 minutes, man. And you call it a devotion? I hated seeing him come. Oh, I hated seeing him come. I mean, I had to go to the water fountain, go to the bathroom or something when I saw him coming. But somehow he always found me. Why? He usually had some type of rebuke for me. And I didn't like rebuke. But you know what? Oftentimes it's rebuke that does more for us than praise. I mentioned to you Wednesday night, the word of God is a lamp into our feet and light into our path. It shows us where we're at. shows us where we're going. But, you know, sometimes what the word of God shows us is it shows us we're not where we need to be. I'm thankful for the Word of God, but sometimes the Word of God carries with it a rebuke. And I don't like rebuke. Oftentimes, that's why we don't hear the Word. We don't want to hear it. We don't want to listen to it. Why? It's going to rebuke us. It's kind of like uh, my dad used to work an hour away, and we get in trouble. And my dad was a disciplinarian at my house. I can't remember, maybe once or twice in my life, my mom gave me a spanking, but my dad didn't mind at all. And so my mom would call my dad, and my mom would say, hey, the boys have been... You know, tying up. Boys not getting the job done. And my dad would say, put them on the phone. And we, had, and we didn't have cell phones. And we had to walk over to that long corded thing on the wall. And we're standing there in the kitchen with the phone. He says, your mom says you, your boy's been acting up. I said, yes, he has. Yes, he has. He said, I'll take care of it when I get home. We had a whole hour. He worked in Jackson. We had a whole hour to dread it. I th- honestly think that's cruel and unusual punishment that probably should be outlawed today. You shouldn't have to make, let your kids wait over five minutes to get a spanking because that's worse than the spanking itself. And man, you hear that truck coming around the corner, you hear dad pulling the driveway, you hear the door close, and you're counting the steps as he walks from the truck and you're knowing, it's coming, it's coming. You hear the door open, dad walks in, and you're kind of, hey dad. And you hated seeing him come, why? Because you knew he had a rebuke for you. But oh, I believe my dad took after our Lord where the Bible says he chastens every son he loves. He was rebuking me because that's what I needed. And he loved me and did not want me to continue in the direction that I was going. Folks, can I tell you tonight, if the work of God's going to continue, sooner or later you're going to have to receive some rebuke. We live in such a pansy-fied generation today that nobody wants to hear rebuke. Nobody wants to be told what they did wrong because it hurts their feelings. But folks, wouldn't you rather hurt somebody's feelings, not intentionally, but if you love them enough to help them get where they need to go? Sometimes I have to hurt my daughter's feelings. Sometimes my wife hurts my feelings. But it's usually for the good. It's usually for the good. Proverbs chapter 13, the Bible says, A wise son heareth his father's instruction. The Bible says, scorner will not hear his rebuke. Scorner will not hear it. Proverbs 27, 5, the Bible says, open rebuke is better than secret love. Do you know how I can tell when people are trustworthy? This is the truth. By the way, this is, this is a truth that I live by. The way that I can tell when people are trustworthy is they don't always agree with me. 
I think every guy on this stage has disagreed with me at least once since I've been here. I give them once a year, and that's it. But I think they've at least once a year. <laughs> Brother Heath, i got to tell you this one. I remember we were, we were in a staff meeting one day, and we were throwing out ideas about different things we wanted to do throughout the year and put it out there on the table. Some idea. I can't remember if it was mine or whose it was. And Brother Heath says, I hate it. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. I hate it. I didn't have to interpret that in the Greek or nothing. <laughs> hate it. Didn't like it. You know, I can trust Brother Heath. Why? Because he disagrees with me sometimes. What does the Bible say? Open rebuke is better than secret love. Now, folks, you can teach and preach the truth in love, but be sure you preach and teach the truth. Sometimes the truth rebukes us. It's hard to get the work done if you don't receive some rebuke every once in a while. Now, quickly look at verse 3. I'm going to hurry through these. Look at verse number 3. Watch what he rebuked them in. Therefore say thou unto them, thus saith the Lord of hosts, turn ye unto me. Notice he says turn. He rebuked their direction. Sometimes you ought to let the word of God rebuke your direction. Be thankful for that, by the way, because we're not always going the direction we need to go. Sometimes we're like our cars. We get out of alignment. We need to be realigned, and the word of God realigns us. Look down at verse 15. I'm very sore displeased with the heathen that are at ease. Notice what God says. God says, I'm displeased that you are at ease. That is their contentment. Sometimes you need to let the word of God rebuke your contentment. Let the word of God let you know you've settled down. Notice it's happening there in the bottom. You need to let the word of God let you know you're taking it too easy. You're at ease. The world's on fire. Things are falling apart. There's needs galore. Look, if you can't find someone to serve in the time we're living in right now, you are not looking hard enough. They are everywhere. There's burdens to be borne everywhere. But the biggest enemy to the work of God oftentimes is contentment. What did he say? I'm displeased with the heathen that they are at ease. Let God take his word and rebuke your contentment. He's rebuking them because they're missing out on an opportunity. Revelation 3.19, the Bible says, as many as I love, I rebuke. So number two, how do we finish what God starts? Number one, the word must be heard. Number two, receive the rebuke. God's trying to jumpstart their work. and God can't jumpstart your work if you don't receive it. And then finally, I'm going to look down, and here's the good news. We're going to see what it all culminates to in verse number six, 16. I'm sorry, 16. Therefore, thus saith the Lord, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. My house shall be built in it, saith the Lord of hosts, and a line shall be stretched forth upon Jerusalem. Cry yet, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities through prosperity shall yet be spread abroad, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion and shall yet choose Jerusalem. The neat thing is you see what happens when the word is heard and rebuke is received. Number three, you see the work to be restored. Then God really gets to work and shows you what he wants to do. If you look at verse 16, he says, I am returned to Jerusalem with mercies. Now imagine if they had run from the word and did not receive the rebuke. They would have missed out on the mercy. How often we see God coming and we're like, oh, run, run, run. It's like the preacher. You see the preacher coming in. You run, run, run. You don't want to be around him. It hurts my feelings a little bit, but I'm okay with it. Part of the job description. And yet God's bringing what? Verse 16 says mercies. God says, I want to, I want to bring in some mercy. I want to restore the mercy that is there. But we run from that. You keep reading in verse number 16. It says that my house shall be built. God wants to build. 
Not only does God bring with him mercy, but he wants to build something. Hey, aren't you excited tonight that no matter who you are, where you're from, what you've done, what your talent level is, how rich you are, that God wants to build something in you and through you. And he comes to us through his word. And well, here he comes, and that word comes to us, and then it rebukes us a little bit. We don't like that. Receive it, receive it. Why? Because through that, God's bringing mercy, and he's going to build something. But the word's got to be heard, and the rebuke has got to be received. Verse 17, cry, yet saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities through prosperity. What? God wants to bring prosperity? Yeah, Jeremiah 29 talks all about it. He wants to bring prosperity back to you. Look, it doesn't mean he wants to make you rich. Are you going to get that Ferrari that you want? But you're going to prosper in the things that matter to God. But those things don't happen until the word is heard and the rebuke is received. And then finally, oh, I love the the end of verse 17. We'll close on this one. The Bible says, and the Lord shall yet comfort Zion. The Lord shall yet comfort Zion. He brought mercy. He said, I'm going to build the work. I'm going to bring prosperity. And then I'm going to bring comfort. Comfort is on the other side of receiving the word and receiving the rebuke. Only then can you have the comfort that only God could bring. Can I tell you tonight, I know there's a lot of people in our church at this very hour, probably all of us in a, in a, in a manner of speaking one way or the other, that need comfort. God, would you restore my comfort? I mean, it's almost been a year that we've been in this thing. And we just want God to restore that. God, restore your mercy. You know what mercy signals? Mercy always signals an end of sorrow. That's what mercy does. Say, God, I want that mercy restored. God says, hear the word and receive the rebuke. There's mercy restored. There's prosperity restored. And then we see God restoring our comfort. That's what he desires to do in us and through us. But the word's got to be heard. Folks, after I left service this morning, the Lord just gave us this this afternoon. This was on my heart. I enjoyed being in service today. I enjoy the Lord working in my heart. I enjoy every time I come to the house of God and God works in my heart and my life. But I don't want that to end, and I don't want it to end for you either. Let the work of God that begins in our heart not be like the temple. That God gets something going on Sunday, but Monday you settle down. Why? Because settling is natural. It's just natural. But why don't you allow God, listen, to work in his word, even to rebuke you if necessary, so that he can restore the things we're missing tonight and the things we desperately need. Let's have our heads bowed, eyes closed. We're going to stop right there. Heads bowed, eyes closed. How do we keep the work of God going? How do we finish what God started? The word's got to be heard. Do not overlook the importance and the power of God's word. Don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. So I know the Bible backwards and forwards. I read through it twice a year. But what are you doing with it? The word's got to be heard. You've got to hearken to it. Hear it, keep it, endure it. Even if that means God wants to rebuke us through his word. God wants to say you're going the wrong way and God rebukes our direction or God rebukes our contentment. Let God rebuke you tonight. Why? Because on the other side of the rebuke is the restoration, the restoration of that mercy. 
a restoration of that comfort and that prosperity. There's a lot that God wants to restore tonight, but he's going to do it through his word if you're willing to receive it and allow it to do the work that he sent it to. Our Father, I thank you tonight, Lord, for the opportunity to be back at your house. And Lord, I'm thankful that each time we open up the covers of these blessed books, that, Father, our hearts are challenged by it. And, Father, I pray that the work you begin doing in your word, that, Lord, we would finish what you start, that we would do our part, even if it means allowing it to rebuke us for our direction, rebuke us for our contentment. And, Lord, help us be willing to endure that contentment or, or that rebuke, Father, tonight, that we might have that restoration of things that we're missing and that we need right now. Bless our church. Bless this invitation, Father. Help us just be obedient tonight to your will and way, for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.